0: When he picked up the keys, they had a keychain that said Missy on it, which again was Melissa's nickname. After getting the keys, police start looking for Melissa's car and they end up finding it in the parking lot. So, that means that Melissa did make it to Bowling World, but she didn't make it inside. Hey everyone, welcome back to What Happened with Jackie Flores. I'm Jackie and I hope you guys are doing super, super well. Welcome to episode 22. Today we're going to be talking about what happened to 19-year-old Melissa Witt. I actually got really emotional with this case. There's a documentary about what happened to her that came out recently. So I was watching the documentary and I just couldn't help but cry. I mean, the way the police handled this investigation is so upsetting and just the way Melissa disappeared and left things off with her family is so heartbreaking. I don't know, I just got really emotional with this case, so it's definitely going to be a tough one to listen to. Thank you guys so much for being here and for taking the time to listen to today's episode. With that, let's jump right in and let's talk about what happened to Melissa Witt. Melissa Witt was born on April 20th, 1975, in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and she often went by the name Missy. Her mom's name was Marianne, and she was actually 40 years old when she had Melissa, and her father, Johnny Witt, was almost 54. Her parents did divorce when she was a child, although both of them would still be a part of her life. Marianne raised Melissa as a single mother, and the two of them had a very good relationship. They were basically best friends. They even looked the same, they had the same smile, and the same kind heart. Melissa was really active in her local church and it was something that she really enjoyed doing with her mom. They would go to church together, they would go have lunch together, and they just had such a special bond. Everyone says that Melissa was just such an amazing person. Her friends describe her as being kind, loving, bubbly, and quirky. She always had a smile on her face and she was just very likable and popular so she had a lot of friends. She didn't really have enemies. No one could really say that they had a problem with Melissa or that they didn't like like her. At the time of her death, Melissa was enrolled at the West Art Community College and she was really smart in school. You know, She was always in the honor roll and she always made sure to keep her grades up. While attending community college, she was also working part-time as a dental assistant and she planned on going to dental hygiene school and making that her career. And she was good at it. Her co-workers absolutely loved her, all of her patients adored her, and she was just extremely ambitious and hardworking, so it seemed like she really did find her calling. Melissa was 19 years old while attending college and working as a dental assistant, and she was still living with her mom. As for her dating life, she didn't really have a boyfriend. Her friends say that she would go on dates, you know, here and there, but she never had anything serious. She was just really focused on her schoolwork and focused on becoming a dental hygienist. Melissa was just absolutely beautiful, and it just seemed like everything was going well in her life. You know she was 19 years old she was going to school she was working and she was still living at home with her mom whom she absolutely adored she just had such a bright future ahead of her but on december 1st 1994 that would all change That day, 19-year-old Melissa woke up and got ready for school just like any other day. Before she left the house, she asked her mom if she could borrow some money and that she would pay her back when she got her next paycheck from her job. Her mom said no. I'm not sure why she said no to giving her this money, but this did cause them to have some type of argument. Not a big argument, but you know how it is sometimes with your mom or with your parent. You just get upset with them, you have a little fight, and then you get over it the next day. It was that type of argument. You know, Melissa was upset about this and And after her mom said no to giving her the money, she left the house and she headed over to school to take her classes. Once her morning classes ended, Melissa and one of her friends went to go eat at Chick-fil-A and they had some lunch there. After she ate lunch, Melissa went to her job at the dental office to work for the rest of the afternoon. Her shift ended at around 5 p.m. and when she went to go get inside her car to head home, her car actually wouldn't start. She was really worried about this and she just didn't know what to do. Thankfully, there were some people nearby that saw her struggling with her car and they helped her to jumpstart it. Now, Melissa figured out that she had accidentally left the lights on in her car and that the car's battery had drained because of that. So, after getting her car fixed, she was finally able to get inside her car and drive herself home. She got home at around 5.45 p.m. and she realized that her mother wasn't home, but she did leave a note for her. Now, remember, this was 1994, so there weren't really, you know, cell phones or anything like that. So, like, back then, people would, like, leave notes about what they were going to do. So, Marianne left a note letting her daughter know that she was going to be going to Bowling World, which was a bowling alley, and she told Melissa that she should come there, you know, meet her so that they could have some dinner together. Marianne wanted to buy Melissa a burger and, you know, kind of just talk about the argument that they had that day and kind of just, like, reconcile. Like I mentioned, Melissa and Marianne had such a good and loving relationship So of course, Marianne didn't want to be fighting with her daughter. So Melissa sees this note and she decides to go over to Bowling World and meet up with her mom. She quickly changed her clothes and she got inside her car and headed over to the bowling alley. Now, meanwhile, Marianne is already at Bowling World waiting for her daughter to show up. She's sitting there and time goes by, but Melissa doesn't show up. Now, she didn't immediately freak out about this. You know, she just assumed that maybe Melissa made other plans. Maybe she was still upset about the fight that they had and she decided to go meet up with her friends instead. So after waiting at the bowling alley for some time, Marianne left and she headed home. She figured that when she got home, she would see Melissa there and they would be able to talk about everything. But... When she got home, Melissa wasn't there. Now, this was a Thursday night, so Melissa had to be up the next morning to go to school and go to work, so it was just very weird that she wasn't there yet and that she hadn't left a note behind stating where she went. Marianne waited for a while, but a couple of hours went by and it was now midnight, which is crazy. You know, Melissa would never stay out this late without notifying her mom about what had happened. Marianne started to grow concerned, so she called Melissa's friends to see if they knew where she was. She called Tara, which was Melissa's best friend but she was asleep. So Tara's mom answered the phone instead and that's when Marianne told her about what was going on. The mom immediately went over to wake up Tara and told her Melissa is missing. Tara grabbed the phone and she explained to Marianne that she had no idea where Melissa was, but that Melissa and her had bio class together the next day and that they also had plans to hang out later in the evening after. So she would keep her posted if she saw Melissa. After calling around to some of her friends and still not being able to get a hold of Melissa, Marianne just didn't know what to do. It was at around 3 o'clock in the morning when she got into her car and she just started driving around to see if she could spot her daughter anywhere. But there were no signs of Melissa. So at 9 o'clock in the morning, Marianne called the police and reported her daughter Melissa as missing. Now let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors today at HelloFresh. Guys, fall is right around the corner and it's time to hit up some pumpkin patches and just get ready for the festive season. And while you enjoy fall, HelloFresh is here to help you plan for the busy season ahead with tasty dishes delivered to your door. Simply choose your recipes and pick your delivery date and then lay back and enjoy the rest of the days of the summer knowing that dinner is covered. No need to stress about how you'll handle it all because HelloFresh takes care of the meal planning and delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your home So whipping up a homemade meal is a cinch. HelloFresh is all about banishing the end of summer blues and making sure that you feel ready to take on these last few months of the year with some delicious meals. I have a HelloFresh subscription myself and I absolutely love the recipes. They're so easy to make and they're just so delicious. You know, when I think of the fall time, I think of being at home, you know, being cozy. So I feel like HelloFresh's fall meals are perfect for this. I also love that it's going to save me so much time and that I'll be able to make delicious and filling recipes for my friends and my family. So what are you waiting for? Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50WhatHappened and use code 50WhatHappened for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50WhatHappened and use code 50WhatHappened for 50% off plus free shipping. Come find out why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Now, back to the case. On December 2nd, a patrolman showed up to Melissa's house to try to figure out what was going on. So while Marianne was trying to explain to him, you know, about what had happened, how Melissa didn't show up to the bowling alley, she did mention that they had an argument. And as soon as they heard that Melissa and her mom had an argument, this patrolman immediately believed that Melissa must have been a runaway. The officer told Marianne that she just needed to like cool down and that then Melissa would come home later. But Marianne knew that that's not what was happening. She knew Melissa and she just knew that she would never disappear and not say anything. You know, there's no way she would put her mom through all of this stress and the argument that they had wasn't even like a big argument. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, Melissa and Marianne were extremely close so this just didn't make sense. But the police just figured, you know, she's ran away from home, she'll be back later and they just weren't gonna look for Melissa. Marianne knew that the police weren't gonna help her so she had to do it herself. Marianne got her family members and Melissa's friends to help her and they started their own search parties. They made their own missing posters and they started asking around town if anyone had seen Melissa. And you know, something about seeing those homemade missing signs just makes me really sad that the police wouldn't help. I don't know why they wouldn't believe that Melissa was missing when none of her friends knew where she was. I mean, it honestly seemed like Melissa did disappear. So the family and the friends, they put up these posters everywhere to get the word out as much as possible. And because of all the signs, the local news had picked up on the story of Melissa's disappearance and they reported on it. The major crimes unit in Fort Smith also got involved once all of these flyers were placed all over the town, which was amazing. You know, it's great that the news was reporting on this as well as the major crimes unit. But again, it's just frustrating how there was kind of like a delay in informing the public about what happened to Melissa. I mean, if police had taken her disappearance seriously from the start and had notified people about it, who knows what could have happened? Maybe someone would have found Melissa sooner or someone else would have come forward. But the fact that they just thought that she was a runaway just delayed the Process so much. Once the news and the MCU were on the investigation, there was finally a break in the case. On December 3rd, a man came forward with a tip about the night Melissa went missing. He said that that night at 7 45 p.m., he was in the Bowling World parking lot when he saw a pair of keys on the ground. When he picked up the keys, they had a keychain that said Missy on it, which again was Melissa's nickname. He then took the keys inside and gave them to the staff at Bowling World to put in the lost and found. So, police head over. to bowling world to ask for the keys and when they get them they see that there was actually drops of blood on the keys which was shocking the employee said that when they got the keys they didn't even notice the blood on it so after getting the keys police start looking for melissa's car and they end up finding it in the parking lot so That means that Melissa did make it to Bowling World, but she didn't make it inside. Which is crazy because Marianne searched everywhere but the Bowling World because she genuinely thought that her daughter had just made other plans instead of coming to meet her. But the fact was that Melissa had driven to the Bowling World to meet up with her mom and that's where her car had been this entire time. Which just breaks my heart, you know, the fact that Melissa was there trying to meet with her mom for dinner, and then something terrible happened to her. And Marianne was inside the bowling world this whole time and had no idea that her daughter was potentially abducted outside. It's just really heartbreaking. Now, at this point, the police realized that something must have happened to Melissa and that she wasn't a runaway. It's really upsetting that it took them so long to believe Marianne and all of Melissa's friends, when they were all telling the police that something was truly wrong, but the police just refused to believe them. Police started looking around Melissa's car to see if they could find, you know, any evidence. And that's when they found several pools of blood. So it became clear that some sort of an attack must have happened. The blood looked like it went from Melissa's car in a trail and then it stopped at another parking space and the car also showed signs of a struggle. Investigators found a crushed hair clips and one of Melissa's earrings that she was said to be wearing that day on the ground. Now, Bowling World didn't have any security cameras on their property at all, so unfortunately, police were not able to get footage to see, you know, what actually had happened. Now, after finding all of this evidence, police asked every single person who was at bowling world that night to come forward so that they could interview all of them and see if anyone might have seen or heard something a boy who was there with his parents said that between 6 30 p.m and 6 40 p.m he went outside to the parking lot to grab a book from his parents car and while he was doing this he heard a woman screaming and yelling help me. Another person who was at Bowling World told the investigators that at around 6.30 p.m., they saw a young woman who looked a lot like Melissa arguing with an African-American male. Police had this witness give a composite sketch and then police put out the sketch to the public. Another woman who was at Bowling World said that she heard a woman and a man arguing and that the woman's voice was shouting things like, leave me alone and go away. But the witness said that it didn't sound like a stranger interaction. You know, she honestly thought that this was like an argument between like a couple that was just like fighting because the woman didn't really sound scared. This woman was also very close by to where Melissa's car was in the parking lot. So police actually had her hypnotized to see if her brain had any other information stored from that night that she might be forgetting. Now this woman says that she has dreams where she wakes up saying his name starts with a D. Now this is really interesting because did Melissa know this person and call them by their name? And that's why she's remembering the letter D. So while police are waiting for someone to recognize a man in the sketch, they were also interviewing registered sex offenders in the area. But... All of this led investigators nowhere. On January 11th, 1995, a call came into the local police station, but no one answered. I'm not sure why. So the caller had to just leave a voicemail. And the voicemail was of a woman talking to a man. And she said, quote, go ahead and tell them what you found. Then she said, are you going to get over here and tell them what you know? And then a man can be heard saying, no, I can't. And then the phone call just hung up. Which is really odd, like that voicemail is so random and I also wonder why the police station didn't answer. Now, while all of this is going on, the town was on edge. You know, Melissa's abductor or possible killer was on the loose. There were still no signs of her. Marianne was on the news crying, saying that she loved her daughter so much. That she missed her and that if her daughter could hear her right now or see her she wanted her to know that she loves her and that she's waiting for her neighbors and people in the community were so scared you know curfews were implemented Parents were worried about their kids because Melissa was literally taken from a public location. She was at the parking lot of a bowling alley where there were cars outside and crowded with people inside, so it's not like she was abducted on a trail all by herself. Everyone was just so scared and all they wanted was for Melissa to be found. And then on January thirteenth, 1995, six weeks since melissa had been missing two animal trappers were walking around the ozark national forest which was about a 45 minute drive from where melissa lived in fort smith while they were walking they saw what they thought was a mannequin about 30 feet away from the main road But, as they got a closer look, they realized it was actually a naked, dead woman who had just been completely discarded and was laying face down in the ground. The body was already very decomposed, so it was clear that she had been there for a while. They immediately notified the police of this and they of course suspected, it was Melissa, but they weren't able to actually identify her off her looks because her body was so decomposed. They tested the body's DNA and they checked the dental records and that's when it confirmed that this was a body of Melissa Witt. There were no clothes found at the scene where Melissa's body was, but they did find several cigarette butts. An autopsy was done and she had a severe head injury, but it wasn't the cause of death. It was more likely that that had happened in the parking lot and that's why there was blood there. The autopsy also showed that in her lungs, She had dry grass and debris, meaning that she had breathed that in, and the type that she had in her lungs was native to the Ozark Forest. So that meant that Melissa was in that forest when she was still alive. Her cause of death was asphyxiation by strangulation, and her timing of death was found to be on December 1st, the day that she went missing. They weren't able to determine if she had been sexually assaulted because her body was too decomposed, but investigators believe that she had been because she was found naked. In fact, her clothes weren't even near her body. The other earring that she was wearing that day also wasn't on her body. Melissa always wore this, like, Mickey Mouse watch that wasn't on her body either. So investigators knew that she had been murdered in the forest where she was found, But the two men who found her body said that that wasn't the first time that they had walked by that place where they found her body. They said that they were actually in that exact spot the day before and that Melissa's body wasn't there which indicated to police that Melissa's body had just recently been moved, which is wild and also the fact that she was moved and was still placed face down, if it was a killer who moved her, it shows that he clearly had no remorse for what he did. You know if they do have, you know, some type of remorse, so like cover up the body or, you know, not leave the body naked, you know, things like that. So the fact that this person moved the body and just left her still face down naked just like in the middle open place, it was just really really shocking. So Investigators searched the area and they believed that Melissa was moved from behind a big rock that wasn't that far away because there were these indentations on the ground and also drag marks. But it's just so weird because why would the killer move her body? Because at this point, her case had no leads and she clearly wasn't going to be found. So to a lot of people, it seems like the killer wanted Melissa to be found. Now investigators also suspected that maybe the voicemail that they had gotten two nights before could have had something to do with Melissa's body being moved. You know, so it wasn't impossible that maybe another person could have found her body and moved it so that it could be found more easily. You know, like maybe the person came across the body, they didn't want to call the police and like get involved, so they just like moved her body in hopes that someone else would find her body and then call the police. After her body was found, a witness came forward and said that on December 4th, three days after Melissa went missing, he saw a man in the forest in the area where Melissa's body was found and he was changing his clothes, which definitely isn't a normal thing to be doing out in the woods in the winter time. The police had a composite sketch done of this man and he was said to have blonde curly hair. He was about 5 foot 11 and he weighed about 180 pounds. This witness said that this man was near a black or dark colored car which he believed was his. The car also has a purple or blue bumper sticker on it on the passenger side. So, police released this new sketch and the information about the vehicle, but this lead didn't go anywhere. In fact, the police never really got another tip that helped the case at all. What's really shocking is that Melissa Witt's murder remains unsolved to this day after almost 30 years. On January 17th, 1995, Melissa's memorial service was held at the Grand Avenue Baptist Church, followed by a burial at Woodlawn Memorial Cemetery under the direction of Edward's funeral home. On October 7th, 1995, Walmart stores, in conjunction with AR Missing Exploited Children's Center, announced the introduction of missing persons poster display at the local store in Huntsville in honor of Melissa. Three years after her murder on February 4th, 1997, Melissa's family, the Parnells, filed a lawsuit against the CN Bowl Corporation the bowling world, where she and her mom had planned on going to. Now, the family alleged that the bowling world had failed to exercise ordinary care to provide for the safety of business, but the court determined that the events were not foreseeable and that the case was ultimately dismissed. On March 20th, 2011, Melissa's mother, Marianne, passed away at 75 years old without never finding out, you know, what happened to her daughter or who had done this. To this day, they were never able to find Melissa's clothes, the Mickey Mouse watch, or her other earring. In April of 2022, writer, documentarian, and founder of All the Lost Girls, which is an organization dedicated to finding justice for cold cases involving women and girls that have been found to be murdered due to strangulation, LaDonna Humphrey wrote a book titled The Girl I Never Knew, Who killed Melissa Witt? This book was chronicling her journey trying to bring justice to Melissa Witt for the past seven years. In June of 2023, so just recently, LaDonna also released her indie documentary called Uneven Ground The Melissa Witt Story. You can find this on Amazon Prime. And according to the team behind this documentary, it took them eight years to make this documentary, and the entire team that worked on it just poured their heart and their soul into this documentary. Their goal was just to get national attention on Melissa's cold case because it's just not right that so many years have passed by without any answers as to what happened to her and they just don't want people to forget about her name. According to LaDonna, she stated in the documentary that she is certain that she and the organization she formed, all the lost girls and the who killed Melissa Witt, know who killed Melissa and that the reason they know this is because Melissa had written this person's name in her diary. She stated that there's lots of evidence that points to this person's involvement in the case and that if they can prove the suspect's involvement then they will be able to charge him. Now she didn't specify who this person was, what his name was, what his relationship to Melissa is or anything like that but she does sound pretty confident that this is the man that killed Melissa. I'm sure she's relayed this information to the police already but I'm not sure what else has come from that. Like I said they haven't released more details about that. Now let's get into a little bit of theories because there was actually a lot of theories on what happened to Melissa and there were actually a few serial killers who were looked into, so let's go over some. Charles Ray Vines, who was also known as the River Valley Killer, eventually became a suspect in Melissa's case. Now, Charles had been charged for raping and murdering older women. 58-year-old Juanita Woodford, who was killed in her home in 1993, and then 74-year-old Ruth Henderson, who was murdered in 1995. But older women weren't Charles only, I don't know, I guess, type. You know, he also had a fetish for dead women just in general because he was also into necrophilia. And necrophilia, for those that don't know, is a condition where people are attracted and enjoy having sex with dead bodies. But Charles wasn't caught for these murders right away. In 2000, he was caught beating and attempting to rape a 16-year-old girl by her stepfather who just happened to come home and just witness the attack. He detained Charles until the police arrived. After that, they were able to get him for the two murders that I mentioned earlier. Now, because Charles didn't seem to have an age preference, he instantly became a suspect in Melissa's case. But the way that Melissa was murdered was unlike Charles's usual pattern. You know, he would often beat his victims, but Melissa had been strangled instead of beaten. After extensive interrogation by the FBI, Charles was ruled out as a suspect. You know, he also confessed to his other crimes, but he said that he had nothing to do with Melissa's murder. And investigators who spoke with him genuinely believed him. However, some experts have said that he is extremely good at lying and manipulating people, but ultimately police have found no evidence to tie Charles Ray to Melissa's murder. Charles Ray died in 2019 and he went to his grave denying his involvement in Melissa's case. Now, another man named Larry Swearegan also became a suspect in Melissa's murder. He was an electrician who was visiting his grandparents in Clinton, Arkansas, at the same time that Melissa was taken. And Clinton is only about like a two-hour drive from where Melissa was found. Now, he is a terrible guy. He was convicted for raping and murdering 19-year-old Melissa Trotter in Texas in December of 1998. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities in the cases. First of all, both victims were named Melissa. Both were 19-year-old community college students. They looked very similar, like very similar, and they also had the same hair length. Both went missing in early December, and they were found in January in a national forest, and both girls were strangled to death. That is a lot of similarities. According to one of Melissa Trotter's relatives, she was wearing a Mickey Mouse watch like Melissa Witt's, and in both instances, the killer took the watch. Now, serial killers commonly take something from their victims as a trophy to remember their murder. So it just seems like there's a lot of similarities. I mean, what are the odds that another 19-year-old girl named Melissa was murdered in the same way, also had a Mickey Mouse watch? Just so many things were tying it back to Larry. And Larry had also just purchased a vehicle part from an automotive store in Arkansas, just days before Melissa Witt was murdered and abducted in Fort Smith. In 1998, he was put on death row in Texas for the murder of Melissa Trotter in Montgomery Murray County, Texas. Now, he wasn't able to be charged with Melissa Witt's murder because he denied it, and they weren't able to get any other solid evidence to tie him to the murder. Then in 2002, during a routine check of Larry's cell by prison staff, they found Melissa Witt's name and the date of December 1st, 1994, Written in Larry's own handwriting, which is shocking. I mean, why did he have Melissa's name written down and the day that she died? Now, efforts to talk to Larry about the murder of Melissa Witt were just blocked by his legal team. And then in 2019, he was executed for Melissa Trotter's murder. So to this day, people don't know if he actually was involved, if he wasn't. I mean, he denied ever being involved, so we're not really sure what happened. So those were the two serial killers that police and, you know, the community thought could have had something to do with Melissa's disappearance. But now let's go over some other theories not involving them and, you know, just some answered questions that people have in the case. People believe that Melissa was either murdered by someone she knew or from a serial killer because of the way that she was killed. You know, being strangled the way she was takes a lot of effort and means that the killer had to watch her die. So some serial killers choose to kill that way because, you know, they enjoy watching someone die. But on the other hand, it's also a common way to kill someone that you know personally in a fit of rage. You know, it's like a very close contact way to kill someone, you know, not like shooting them and just like walking away. Like strangling takes a lot of efforts. I don't know if the family's phone records were even looked into because some people have the theory that she could have told someone else she was going to the bowling alley. And if there had been a call in that short time, then we would know if someone else knew that she was going to be there. But she also could have easily had been stalked by either a stranger or someone that she knew. So the phone call doesn't really fully prove or rule anything out. But we just don't know anything about any ex-boyfriends that she had or anything like that. So there's really you know, no theories about who it could be or if it was someone that she knew. And the witnesses that night said that it sounded like Melissa was talking to someone that she knew. You know, she wasn't screaming out for help. So maybe it was someone that she knew and they had followed her to the bowling alley and I don't know, confronted her about something or tried to make her go somewhere. She said no, they decided to kidnap her and then murder her. What's shocking is that, you know, there were witnesses that heard Melissa like yelling and like, the one boy that heard her asking for help, but yet no one called the police in that moment. It's really shocking and I've heard people say that if you're in a situation like this where you're being abducted or something bad is happening to you, you should yell fire because more people will react to a fire than to someone just saying help me. So I guess that's just like a little tip. Now, some other theories are about Melissa's car. You know, no one noticed that her car was in the bowling alley parking lot for two days. Not her friends, not her mom, not the police. Which is crazy because, I mean, her mom knew that her car wasn't at home. So why wouldn't police also be looking for her car? Especially because the last place that she could have possibly have gone to would have been the bowling alley. So a lot of people are just surprised that it took them two days to find her car. You know, it makes people wonder that the possibility that her car could have been taken too. And then maybe they brought the car back days later. Like so when they abducted Melissa, they took her, they took her car, they took everything and then a few days later, they brought it back. But her car keys were turned in the night of her disappearance. So maybe the abductor like hotwired the car or maybe he did take the keys and then brought the car back that night and the person that found the keys and turned them into the employees was just confused about when he found them. A lot of people also wonder if maybe an employee was involved. Maybe an employee from the bowling alley had, you know, been stalking Melissa for some time now because it seems like Melissa and her mom would frequently go there. And maybe he's the one that did all of this. I mean, there's just so many theories about what could have happened and why her car wasn't found until two days later. Because, you know, her car would have had to been the only one there. You know, at night when everyone goes home from the bowling alley, the employees leave. Her car would have just been there by itself. So how did nobody notice that when everyone was driving around you know, having search parties looking for Melissa. Another question that people have are, why were the cigarette butts found in the forest not tested for DNA? You would think that that might lead to like the potential killer because what are the odds that these cigarette butts were found near the body? There have also been some theories or maybe more like rumors that Melissa was involved in drugs and that's why she had asked her mom for money. So some people believe that maybe she was murdered because of, you know, some money drug type of situation because the exact amount of money that she asked her mom hasn't been revealed field. So we're not sure what she needed that money for because she had enough money to go to Chick-fil-A that day. So it probably must have been a large amount for her mom to say no to. And also, why did she need this money before her paycheck? It's just all so strange. Also, like, who moved her body? There's so many unanswered questions in this case. And it's so frustrating that so many years have passed by without any answers or without any suspects, arrests, warrants, nothing. I also wonder about the diary that I mentioned earlier, how the organ organization that's trying to find Melissa's killer says that they already know who it is, that they are pretty certain that Melissa wrote the killer's name in her diary. And I just feel like, you know, what does that mean? Like, what did she write in the diary? Did she say, oh, Bob was following me, like, I can't get him to leave me alone? Or why do these people feel so certain that the killer is in the diary. I wonder if like police know about this. I'm sure they probably do because it was in the documentary. So, I wonder why they haven't gone to speak to this man, you know, to get his DNA or to just figure out if this man that this organization believes is the killer is actually the killer. Also, if police had looked at her diary from the beginning, you know, just to get clues, like did they already come across his name and if they did, why wasn't he like a suspect in the first place? Like a lot of people are just confused by this and, you know, again, everyone just wants answers as to what happened to Melissa. There is currently a $5,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in this case. Along with this reward, there's also the Facebook page that continues to post about what happened to Melissa. The page is called Who Killed Missy Wit? If you're watching this on YouTube, I will leave the Facebook page down below so you guys can check it out. The page is very active and, you know, with the documentary that just came out, they're asking for people to go leave reviews and ratings in the documentary and just to help, you know, keep the story alive. You know, it really just breaks my heart that the police didn't take Melissa's disappearance seriously at all. Just because she had an argument with her mom You know, if they would have started looking for her sooner from the start, who knows how the investigation could have gone. Maybe they could have found her body sooner. Maybe the killer would have been caught. You know, the community feels that because police took so long to look for her, they gave the killer more time to get rid of evidence and evade justice. Detectives say that they regret classifying her as a runaway and that they accept that they made a mistake. They haven't given up on Melissa's case. The lead detective, JC Ryder, is retired now, but he says that he still volunteers his time to try to solve Melissa's case. On the 27th anniversary of Melissa's death, police held a press conference at the Central Mall Food Court in Fort Smith to talk about Melissa's case and how they're not giving up yet. Now the reason- The reason why they chose to do the press conference at this mall is because of the connection it has to the case. It's one of the last known locations of Melissa because on December 1st, she went to go have lunch with her friend at Chick-fil-A before going to the bowling alley where she was abducted. So they held this press conference and they just reminded people that they're not giving up yet and that as part of their efforts to find Melissa's killer, they launched a billboard campaign. Detectives stated that this 27th anniversary of Melissa's death isn't something to celebrate but it's one that can help police recognize that they need to continue to work on the case until her killer is found. Detectives truly believe that this can be solved. Anyone with information about what happened to Melissa Witt is urged to contact the Fort Smith Police Department at 479-709-5100. Melissa was just 19 years old when her life was taken from her and she did not deserve this and she deserves justice. My thoughts and prayers go out to her family and to everyone affected by this. I am so sorry that there is still not justice for Melissa, but I truly hope that she gets it soon. It breaks my heart that Marianne never got to see her daughter get justice. The last interaction that she had with her daughter was an argument over money. You know, Marianne just wanted to make things right, and that's why she invited Melissa to the bowling alley for dinner. And the fact that Melissa did go there, and she tried to get inside, but couldn't just breaks my heart. But all right, you guys, that's pretty much all the information I have for today's video. I will definitely keep you guys posted on the investigation. I encourage you guys to continue to share Melissa's flyer, share her story, and just keep the word going about her murder. needs to be solved and she needs justice. I will link some resources under my YouTube video to where you guys can get more information about Melissa's case and who you can contact if you have any information. Thank you guys again so much for being here and for taking the time to listen to what happened to Melissa Witt. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to leave me a comment down below so I can see your thoughts on this case. And if there's ever any other cases you would like me to cover, also leave me a comment under my YouTube video or send me a message on Instagram. Don't forget to follow, raise, and... And review what happened wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to my youtube channel true crime jackie for full video episodes you can find me on instagram at the jackie flores and on TikTok at true crime jackie bye guys